Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good evening. My name is Howie Silbiger. This is the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I appreciate you tuning in. I am happy to be here, and we have quite a show for you tonight. Uh, if you are if you are watching on um, on on Monday no, on Tuesday Monday night Monday Tuesday night Tuesday night Monday night tonight. See, I, I lose track. I lose track of what night it is. It's Tuesday night. I know that. Come on. Uh, if you're watching on a Tuesday night, uh, I am live, so you could call in. Number to call, one 669 That's 1-877-669-1292. The reason I know it's Tuesday is because at midnight, we're back with Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. You'll see it right here on the same network, on the True Talk Radio network, so feel free to tune in for that, too. Uh, 1-877-669-1292 is the number to call to get in on the conversation. I'll be more than happy to talk to you about anything you want. So just call in. So I've been uh, I've been thinking a lot lately. I've been off the air and when you're off the air you get to uh, you get to think and uh, and and these thoughts come through your through your mind and and you went and you think and you think and you think there's not much else to do. And so I I've been sitting around thinking a lot lately. And one of the things I've been thinking about is how the world has changed in the last decade. In a way that's that's probably not recognizable to normal people. At one time, at one time, not that long ago, really, not really all that long ago, we thought that there were greedy corporations. There were hundreds and thousands of movies made about greedy corporations, people being unscrupulous uh, to make money and doing anything in their realm of possibility to make money. We, we, we heard about corporations laying off people, paying people minimum wage, uh, CEOs of corporations taking billions of dollars while, they're, while their workers work for pennies. We heard all the lefty ranting about corporations and all the crazy talk and, uh, and, and Occupy Wall Street and all the other stuff that happened um, to take on corporations that were allegedly um, messing around with their, with their employees or, or, or screwing them one way or the other. And we see this, and we, we saw this, and this has been going on for decades and decades and decades. It's nothing new, and we, we know about it, and we accepted the fact that corporations in a capitalistic society are there to make money, and, uh, and, and how they make money, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. We, we, we understand that the end goal of corporations is to make money. This is, this is what they exist for. But that seems to have changed. That, that, that the philosophy that corporations are only in it for the money seems to have shifted and seems to have shifted greatly because corporations today are not caring about the bottom line. We, we see it over and over again. You see Budweiser, uh, who hired a transgender model to be the face of their beer and then lost 80% of their sales from their core audience who doesn't identify with transgenderism. Now, now nobody's saying transgenderism is right or wrong. I, I couldn't care less about transgenders. 
But the, the fact that a beer company decided to, to, to market to a small segment of the population, a tiny little fragment of the population, and ignore their core markets, their, their core customers, seems odd to me. And at the time it happened, it happened a few weeks ago, it, it seemed extremely odd. And I watched this situation unfold, and I watched Bud Lizer losing millions and millions and millions of dollars. And it seemed kind of weird that a, a major corporation would do something like that. And then I started thinking, why would a corporation do that? Why would they put themselves in that position? They were doing fine. People loved Budweiser. And now people are shooting at them, posting videos of them burning Budweiser bottles. Why would a corporation do that? Do just, just take their audience and tank it. And, and I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out why and or what, what a greedy corporation. We're talking about corporations that want to make money. This is their whole goal. It's bottom line. That's all they care about. It really is bottom line. And we're looking at corporations who, who, who just really didn't care about the bottom line, just dumped it and forgot about it. And it bothered me. And I thought about it. And I couldn't come up with any ideas on why a corporation would do that. And then I saw Fox News dump Tucker Carlson, their 8 o'clock hour host who was pulling in 4 million viewers a night. And it hit me. Corporations don't care about money anymore. All they care about is ideology. The world has gotten so warped and so weird and so crazy that the greed for money has disappeared, has dissipated. And now all anybody cares about is what pronouns you're going to call somebody, is giving affirmative action to, to, to minorities that were, that were persecuted, except for Jews. But any other minority that was persecuted, man, they get, they get whatever they want. It seems to me that there has been a paradigm shift, th that the corporations have, have given up on trying to turn a profit. They've gotten bored about making money and have now turned their attention to pushing ideology. Now, that's scary. It's a, it's a scary proposition. When you think about it, it's really, it's really frightening. It is frightening that a corporation could, could, could torpedo their sales in order to make a political point. When did corporations become political? Uh, about the same time that uh, Vanity Magazine became political. About the same time that GQ Magazine became political. It doesn't make sense. It's not even logical. Everything today is political. Now, I love politics. Don't get me wrong. I love talking about politics. I love hearing about politics. I love reading about politics. Politics is pretty much, it's pretty much my life. I follow politics very closely and I'm, I'm very political in my discussions and in my thought process, everything, everything, I understand politics really well. But I don't understand the politics of these corporations. I don't understand why these corporations have decided to, to give up on their profit margins, to give up on their product in order to cater to a, a, a specific, tiny segment of the population. It doesn't make sense. It's, it's not logical. And I, I'm sure there are greater minds than mine that are thinking about this and trying to figure this out. Because that makes sense. Fox News dropping Tucker Carlson it, was, 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 was suicide for Fox News. There's no other host on television, on radio, on anywhere that's pulling in the numbers that Tucker Carlson was pulled in, that Tucker Carlson was pulling in every single night on Fox News. 
And now he announced today he was going to he's going to start doing his show on Twitter. And I guarantee he'll have four or five million viewers on Twitter every night. It's it's an interesting paradigm shift. And if he doesn't have it every night, he's going to have, he's going to have it definitely you know in, in replays or whatever else. I mean, it's going to be posted there, so anybody can watch it. You can watch it live. You can watch it later. It'll be on demand. And you don't have to know how to use a PVR in order to record it. So so it, it, it's 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 interesting that a major news network, a major television network, I won't call it a news network, let's be honest, a major television network will give up their, ma- their, their, their main star in order to appease a small minority of people who didn't like the politics he was pushing, didn't like the politics he was talking about. So give up your profits for politics. This seems to be the new mantra of corporations. And I don't understand a world like this. I don't understand a world where, where greed has disappeared and, and, and politics have taken over. Now, I don't mind a world where politics takes over. I, I love politics, but, but this is ridiculous. This is not something that, that we've ever seen before. This is a brand new development in the world. And will it, will it survive? Can corporations survive without profits? I don't think so. I mean, is Budweiser going to be around in a year from now? Will Fox News survive the ousting of Tucker Carlson? Possibly, probably, maybe, perhaps. Anything's a possibility. But at the end of the day, we know that they've lost billions of dollars. Between the two corporations, they've lost billions of dollars. Elon Musk, I, I guess, started this trend when he bought Twitter for $40 billion dollars not because he thought he could turn a profit. He's lost his hand. He's lost tons of money on Twitter. But he bought Twitter for $40 billion just to prove a point. To prove the point that uh, free speech could exist somewhere. Look, uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate of free speech. I, I never liked hate speech laws. I never liked the muzzling of people for, for their thoughts and their ideas. I believe that everybody should be able to express their ideas in any way they want to express their ideas. And whoever doesn't like them doesn't have to listen. I honestly believe that there's no danger in expressing an idea, any idea. No matter how repugnant it is, there is no danger in expressing that idea. I I don't have to believe you when you tell me something. You don't have to believe me when I tell you something. And if I'm on media, if I'm doing a show right now, I'm doing a show online, I'm broadcasting to about seven or eight different uh, media sites, seven or eight different social media sites. If you don't like what I'm saying, you do not have to click on the link. You do not have to click on the play button. You could just X me out and I'm gone. And uh, look, this show doesn't make money. This show is, uh, is brought to you for free. It's produced for free. It's brought to you for free. Well, it's not free for me. It's free for you. Uh, there's no advertising, so you can't go after advertisers. So the worst you could do is not listen. And if you don't listen, that's fine with me. That's your prerogative. I, I would never hold a gun to your head and say you have to watch my show or you have to listen to me. I, I would never do that because that would be ridiculous. I believe in free speech and freedom of choice. So stopping people from broadcasting, stopping people from expressing their ideas, stopping people from talking because you don't agree with those ideas seems horrible to me. It, it is horrible. And, and people who are doing that are horrible people. 
Now, if you're one of those people, I apologize for calling you a horrible person, but if you are trying to stop and stifle somebody from expressing a point of view, then you're a horrible person. You have the freedom not to listen. Look, I don't, I don't watch shows or listen to shows I don't agree with. Uh, I, I like to watch the other side, so I watch CNN, and I like to, uh, to hear opinions, so I, I watch CNN, but I enjoy political talk. So whether I agree with it or disagree with it, I still enjoy the political banter. And I find it interesting to see the perspective differences between the two sides. Not very many people do that. And I, I encourage everybody to do that more often. Watch both sides of the issue. Then you'll understand the issue a lot better than just watching one side. It drives me crazy. It, it absolutely drives me crazy when I, um, when I watch a, uh, when, when, I, when I take a look at social media and I, I see people posting. And I see that what they're posting is taken from a meme which is a ridiculous way to get your news. It's taken from uh, some biased site like Occupy Democrats or Occupy uh, Republicans or, or or Kill Trump or whatever. One of those strange sites. Uh, it's taken from there, and and it's it's passed off as truth. Or or they take part of a story, and and they and they they magnify part of a story, ignoring the rest of the story which usually exonerates the person that's being condemned in that part of the story. And when you point that out to the person on social media and you say, hey, wait a second, the rest of the story is this, and you post the rest of the story because it's important to have context when, you, when you're looking at stuff. They just laugh at you and they, they, they just ignore you or debase you or, or insult you. Political talk has died. It doesn't exist anymore. There, there's no such thing as political arguments anymore. Because nobody knows how to argue them. Because everybody is so set in their ways, everybody's so sure that their perspective is the correct perspective, that it is nearly impossible to have a political debate today or political conversation with somebody without somebody resorting to insulting the other person. When I was teaching uh, debate years ago in the high schools, my first rule of debate to the high school teams were, quite simply, if the opponent starts insulting you personally, you, you've won the debate. There's nothing left to talk about because that person has run out of arguments and all they have is now is to resort to is, is calling you names. So if somebody starts calling you names in the middle of an argument, you, you know you've won the argument. There's, there's, there's nothing left to talk about. And that's where we're at today. We're at today, we're, uh, we're at a point today where both sides feel that they've won the argument and the only thing they can do is throw insults at each other. I miss the days where I could get on the radio, I could get on the radio and I could talk to people who disagree with me, who have vehemently different opinions of me and are vehement about, and are strong about them and have a good political debate. You know, we used to do that on this show not that long ago. We'd have right-wingers, we'd have left-wingers, we'd have a big debate, we'd argue and we'd, we wouldn't insult each other, but we'd argue and, and, and destroy, each other's, destroy each other's arguments on the show. And then uh, when we turned off the microphones, we would go out and have pizza together because we could disagree politically but still be friends. That was a possibility years ago. I'm not so sure that possibility exists today. I have plenty of people uh, who, who I've invited to come onto the show. As you can see, I'm sitting here by myself. But I've had plenty of people I've invited to come onto the show who have turned me down, 
who have said, I'm not coming on to your show, Howie, because I disagree with everything you say and everything you write and what you stand for. I disagree with you, so I won't appear on your show. I'm not going to give you credibility by being a guest on your show. That's what they tell me. And I look at them dumbfounded and I say, listen, I'm giving you the opportunity to explain to the listenership, to my listenership, I'm giving you the opportunity to explain to my listenership your point of view. I'm opening up my microphone so you could come into my studio and we could sit and we could talk and we could express, you could express your point of view and I'll express my point of view and we could have a political, civil political debate. I'm opening the studio so we could do that. I'm, I'm opening up the, the show so that you could come in and, and it could be interesting. We could talk. We could, and you might be able to convince me that I'm wrong. I might be able to convince you that you're wrong on certain segments of whatever we believe in. And that's fine. I never claimed to be right. I never claimed to have all the answers to everything. I've never claimed that my opinion is the only opinion or my opinion is the best opinion. I don't know if it is. I have no idea. The only way I would know that is if somebody came on the show and debated me. And the, and the, the answer is always, no, Howie, I don't want to come on to your show. Fine. You don't want to come on to the show? No problem. No, no problem. No problem at all. Uh, it's, it's just so ridiculous where we've gotten to in this world. When you think about this, just, just think about this for a second. There was a big hoopla about a year or two years ago about Uncle Ben's converted rice and Aunt Jemima's pancake mix or pancake syrup or whatever. And a huge hoopla. Oh, we can't have a picture of a black woman on Aunt Jemima. We can't have a picture of a black guy on Uncle Ben's. And then there was Two Rivers uh, Margarine or Two Rivers Butter that had a picture of, a, of, a, of an Indian on there. Oh, we can't have that picture there either. Remove those pictures. It's racist to have them on. It's, it's, um, it's advocating some kind of... Uh, some kind of uh, racism, some kind of, it's, it's harking back to slavery. Ah, they had all sorts of reasons why to take, take those pictures off there. And, and the companies that, that, that run Uncle Ben's and Aunt Jemima and, uh, and, and Two Rivers decided to rip the faces of these, of these people, these spokespeople who have been there for 100 years, who have made tons of money as successful black actors. <laughs> they, they ripped their faces off these products. So now the white people who felt guilty that these black people were on this thing have succeeded in actually allowing the white supremacists to win. So we talk about white supremacy and how horrible it is, but the white supremacists have actually won. Because now the only mascot that's still left on a, on a product, the only human mascot still left on a product is the very white Quaker Oats guy. Which means that they have managed in the name of racism, to remove all the colored people from packaging. So the only person that's now allowed to represent a product is a very white Quaker guy. Tell me that makes any sense to you. It doesn't make sense to me. It's totally illogical. Fine, if you want them to, uh, to rework the logo, you want them to rework the pictures, you want them to modernize them, I understand that. Fine. That doesn't, that, that doesn't bother me. But to remove the, the, the minorities off packaging and saying that having a minority on a package, having a minority sitting on, on, on a rice container or having a minority's face sitting on a, on a pancake mix or, can, or a pancake uh, syrup is insulting, infuriating and, uh, and worthy of a boycott. 
you know, years ago, we'd call that racist. Years ago, we'd say that the people who are advocating removing the black people from the products are racist. They don't want to see black people on their kitchen table. It bothers them. Take it off. Get rid of it. I don't have to see that. That's essentially what they were saying, but they, they, they guised it as something else. And now the only human mascot left is a white person. Now, I'm not saying that there's bad. I, I, we really shouldn't be segregating people based on their colors, but that's the way the world's going today. Do you know that Harvard University has segregated, has segregated once again, segregated um, uh, dormitories and a segregated graduation? They have a graduation for black students and a graduation for white students. Now, didn't Martin Luther King Jr. lose his life fighting to stop that? Didn't Malcolm X lose his life fighting to stop that? Wasn't the idea equality for all, that we're all the same, regardless of the color of our skin? Wasn't Malcolm X, wasn't uh, Martin Luther King's famous, famous, famous quote, I hope one day that my children live in a world where they're judged by their character, not the color of their skin? Yet the only difference today is that the people insisting on segregation are the people who were segregated. They were desegregated. They, 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 they were integrated into society. And now they're insisting that they be segregated again. This world is totally backwards. Hundreds of people, thousands of people have died fighting for equality. And now they're turning back the clock. They're turning back the progress. They're, they're erasing the progress. It's crazy. It's crazy and it is going to lead to the downfall of society. Society is going to die. Society as we know it is going to implode if we keep going down this horrific road that we're going down. one 669 1292 is the number to call. one 669 1292 You could talk to me and get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. You could email me, of course, at Howie at TrueTalkRadio.com. But uh, if, if you're listening and you want to talk about this, feel free to call in. one 669 1292 The call is toll-free from anywhere in North America. I'll be more than happy to pay for the call, so just give me a call. one 669 1292 And we, we don't only really see it on, on college campuses. We don't only see it on, 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 on our breakfast on our breakfast food. We, we see it we see it elsewhere too. We, we see this kind of discrimination, we see this kind of hatred, this, this kind of degradation of society, this, this degrading of, of, of societal norms. We, we see it falling apart. Society is, is slowly, slowly falling apart. And once the base is destroyed, then, then what's left? For instance, let's let's uh, let's take a look at something else that's that's happening, and, and I have no idea what the big deal is uh, or why it's happening. It doesn't make sense to me why it's happening. Uh, drag queens that want to read stories to little kids in libraries. Now, nobody's been able to explain to me why this is an important thing to fight for and, and why this is happening altogether. It doesn't make any sense to me. Why would there be drag queens in libraries reading children's stories to kids. Like, why drag queens? Why can't it just be people? Why can't just people come and read stories to kids in libraries? Why does it specifically have to be drag queens? Now, now it could be that uh, they're just trying to normalize drag queen in this. 
And if you normalize it with the kids, then the next generation of kids that grow up will, will think this is normal and then will accept them as a part of society. I, I don't know. I don't know. I've never really thought hard or really thought about drag queens at all. But when I see story after story about drag queens wanting to read to children, I, I'm just confused by it. It's just confusing to me. Like, like completely confusing. I, I don't understand it at all. And if you can explain it to me, feel free to call in one eight seven seven six six nine one two nine two. Maybe you maybe you understand it more than I do, because I just don't get it. I don't get why anybody would want to be a drag queen and go and read to kids. I, I, I don't get. I don't get it. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, that's me. And, and, and people call me old fashioned. That's fine. I, I am old fashioned. Uh, I'm not. I, I, I say I'm old-fashioned, but I'm not really old-fashioned. I just believe that society should go back to a moralistic society. I believe we should live a little more, a little more, with a little more morals. Religion shouldn't be a bad word. We shouldn't be afraid to say that, hey, I'm Jewish, I'm Orthodox Jewish, and I'm proud to be Orthodox Jewish. I shouldn't, nobody should be afraid to say that. Students at university... Orthodox Jewish students at university shouldn't have to take their Jewish symbols off when they walk into a university campus for fear of being attacked. And that happens on a daily basis, and that should never happen. And, and, and Jews should not be afraid to walk down the street in any city in the world, but they are. For good reason. Just a couple of weeks ago, in uh, Montreal, celebrated... Israel Independence Day. And a young 16-year-old boy decided to walk up to a synagogue, rip all the Israeli flags off the synagogue's fence. The synagogue who is celebrating Israel Independence Day and has a school attached to it, an elementary school. Ripped all the flags off the fence and burned them. Okay, so if you want to protest the state of Israel, there's ways to protest and ways not to protest. And, and this was not the appropriate way to protest the state of Israel. You want to pick it, go ahead and pick it, but pick it the, uh, the embassy of Israel. But to walk over to a school and, try and terrorize children in a school, okay, the children weren't there at the time, thank God. But to go and rip down the school's flags and burn them? To me, that's an act of terrorism. That's a political-motivated mo political act of terrorism. It would fall under Canada's Terrorism Act, which has never been used for attacks against the Jewish people. The Canadian Jewish population apparently doesn't experience terrorism, although we have we spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, uh, securing our buildings across the country. The only people in the world, the only people in North America, actually, who have guards standing in front of their buildings 24 hours a day. The only people in North America who have metal detectors at their gym the only people in North America whose synagogues can't be opened to the public 24 hours a day like churches are. They have to have guards and guards and security cameras and lights and cameras and cameras and more cameras. We have to have locks upon locks and, and more locks and, and, and bars that cover parking lots and, and bullards in front of the building. Because the Jews are always under attack. The Jews are always the ones who are targeted. Millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars put into securing our buildings 
and then the government comes out and tells us that the Jews are not are not in danger in Canada. Really? You could have fooled me. You could have fooled me. We're not in danger in Canada. Then why are we spending hundreds of millions of dollars on, on security guards? Anytime you have an event in any synagogue anywhere, there's two, three security guards. That's lots of money. Why is it that uh, Jews who go into, uh, go into the Jewish Y anywhere in Canada, if there's a Jewish Y or a Jewish JCC, they go in, there's security guards that check your bags, security guards that, uh, that, 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 that screen you, you walk through a metal detector, I mean, there's a million things that happen when you walk into Jewish buildings. Why? If Jews aren't in danger, why can't their synagogues be open to the public? Why can't we just leave the doors open and allow people to come in like churches do and pray when they want to pray and, uh, and, and visit the synagogue when they want to visit the synagogue? Because we've learned over the years, quite simply, that Jewish life is cheap, that, that the governments of the diaspora countries that Jews live in don't respect Jewish life, don't care if a Jew gets attacked, don't care if a Jew gets murdered. It's totally irrelevant to them. Now, I know this could be shocking to a lot of people. Oh my gosh, what are you talking about? But it's the truth. Just look at the history. Just look back at the history. The Canadian government, and I'm going to talk about Canada because we're in Canada. The Canadian government has never taken the tax on Jews seriously. Even when we had a Jewish attorney general and my friend Aaron Kotler, and I'm really friends with him, but he knows my criticism. I've spoken to him, spoken to him face-to-face, -to -face, told him what my criticism uh, of his tenure as, as Attorney General of Canada was. When Aaron Kotler was Attorney General in the Liberal government of Paul Martin, a Molotov cocktail was thrown through the window of United Tomatora Elementary School into the library of their school on Passover Eve. It was in the early 90s. I think it was 93. The perpetrator of the crime tried to flee the country. His mother, who's a young boy, he's also around 16, young boy, two of them actually, they tried to flee the country. Uh, the parents tried to help them flee the country. And they failed, they got caught. And there was a big decision that Erwin Kotler had to make as Attorney General of the country. Uh, do we charge them under Canada's terror law? I'm sorry, did I say 93? I meant 2003. I'm sorry, I said 93, I meant 2003. Due to we charged him under Canada's terror law, the terror law was passed and written by Aaron Kotler and passed after 9-11. Do we charge these people under Canada's terror law? And he thought about it for weeks. And he finally came up to the decision that no, we're not going to charge them under Canada's terror law. We're going to charge them as arsonists, which means that they only got a few years and then they got out of prison. Here are guys who came politically motivated. They posted a... a, a, a they post a document on the windows of the school saying, we did this in revenge for the murder and the assassination of a Hamas leader. Politically motivated attack on the Jewish community fit every single checkmark of the terror legislation. But we're in charge under the terrorism law because it wasn't politically correct to do so and the liberal government doesn't do anything that's not politically correct. I wrote an article at the time pointing out that this was a, uh, this was a terrible thing. Not charging them properly was a terrible thing. And uh, and Erwin Kotler laughed at me. I, I ran into him not long after the article uh, came out. And he laughed at me and he said to me, Howie, he says to me, you're 100% right in everything you wrote. He, he was laughing. He says, you're 100% right in everything you wrote. The only thing you left out 
What's the political aspect? <coughs> Excuse me. Said you left out the politics. Legally, you were 100% right. Everything you wrote was 100% right. You left out the politics of the thing. And the politics are the most important thing when it's a politician. I had to make a decision. It was based on politics. It wasn't based on law. If it was based on law, they would fit right under my, the criteria of my law, the law that I wrote. He says, I know the law better than anyone else. I wrote it. That's what he told me. He says, Aaron Kotler said, I wrote the law. I know the law better than anybody else. And I know that that, that the crime fit the law 110%. But there are politics involved. And as a politician, he had to think about the politics. So instead of defending the Jewish community, the Canadian government worried more about the politics of an upcoming election and ostracizing a segment of the population that could vote for them. So they let the guy off scot-free. And it happened over and over again. So a couple of weeks later, the, uh, the Jewish Y was bombed. And also that guy got charged with arson. Nobody who's ever attacked the Jewish community in Canada has been charged under terror law. Even though many of the acts of terror that were committed against the Jewish community fell well within the range and the scope of the terrorism law. It's scary when you think about it. It's crazy. It's actually insane when you think about it. That you have this law that exists and it exists for everyone else, just not for your people. Try to do something that's Islamophobic or considered Islamophobic in Canada, you'll get, you'll get arrested and you'll get thrown into jail for years. Try to do something that, that, that's deemed homophobic or deemed you know, racist in any way against anybody. And you'll get nailed for years, tried, convicted, thrown into jail. Call for the murder of Jews, throw Molotov cocktails through a synagogue, dop swastikas on the, uh, in the front of a synagogue, write a blog saying how much you want to kill Jews. Not even a slap on the wrist. And it's the story of Jewish life that's been this way for, for centuries. Jews have been the target. Jews have been the victim for centuries and centuries and centuries. And, and we've allowed this to happen and we've, we've, we've become the target and we've allowed us to stay the target. And we've, we've never really fought back. And the people who fight back, and it's really sad, the people who fight back, the people who, who, who stand up and say, we're not going to take it anymore. We're going to fight back. We're not going to allow this to happen to our people anymore. Those people get deemed by the community. The community they're defending calls them radicals, crazies. Why are, you, why, why are you looking at those people? They're crazies. They're radicals. They're the margins of society. They're marginal. A few years ago, more than a few, uh, the Oslo Accords were signed. So now, now I'm talking the early 90s. And uh, right after the signing of the Oslo Accords, I, uh, I organized a rally, uh, a series of rallies, three of them actually, uh, under, the, under the organization I had founded at the time, Save All Jews Everywhere. We, we organized three rallies in front of the Israeli consulate. The idea was that we were going to oppose the Oslo Accords and tell the Israeli government how much we, we, we disapproved of the Accords and how we thought that they were setting up Jews for, 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 for the slaughter which essentially happened 
after the uh, passing of the Oslo Accords. So uh, about 50, 60 people showed up each time and uh, we gave fiery speeches and, um, and, we, and we protested the state of Israel. We protested in front of the state of Israel, not saying that the state of Israel didn't have a right to do what they're doing, saying that we disagreed with the state of Israel's policy. And we said, the state of Israel says that they are the homeland of all Jews everywhere. Then Jews everywhere have the right to, to agree or disagree with their policies and have a right to agree or to, to express their opinion. I got a call from a pulpit rabbi who told me that Jews in the diaspora did not have a right to protest against the state of Israel. And that Jews should refrain from criticizing the state of Israel in the diaspora because they will uh, encourage Jew haters to continue hating Jews and give them ammunition for, for their Jew hatred. Hey, look, even those Jews over there don't like you, so, so, so it's okay for us not to like you. And I was told to quiet down, to stop talking, and to allow the organized Jewish community, basically the Federation, this rabbi was extremely involved and still is, by the way, extremely involved in Federation, and that I, I should just shut my mouth and let Federation handle it. Well, I'm not the kind of guy who's going to shut his mouth. You got the wrong guy. And so um, I, I argued. I, I answered the rabbi at the time. I said, hey, listen. <coughs> I am the kind of guy who's going to keep talking, and I don't, really don't care what you have to say. Uh, if I disagree with, uh, with the policy of the state of Israel, if I disagree with something they're going to do, I'm going to protest against the state of Israel. I'm going to protest against those policies, not against the state, but against those policies. And I'm going to make my voice heard. And I really couldn't care less if you agreed, with, agreed to it or didn't agree to it. The rabbi was infuriated. How dare you say this to me? How dare you stand up for that? And then anyway, we kind of left it at that. Last week, a group of Jews were protesting in front of the Israeli consulate organized by one of the pulpit rabbis in the city. They went out en masse to protest the Netanyahu government. And they protested in front of the Israeli consulate, and they stood there for a couple of hours giving anti-government speeches, anti-Israeli government speeches. Now, of course, these protests, these protests coincided with protests in the state, in, 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 the, uh, sorry, in, the, in Israel, in the state of Israel. And... and they were done about pretty much at the same time, same days, these protests. And I'm fine with that. The only thing I'm not so fine with is the hypocrisy of this particular rabbi. You know, 20 years ago or 25 years ago, he was pretty adamant with me. In fact, he wrote an article in the newspaper and he appeared on multiple, multiple radio stations condemning me and my organization. And he was instrumental, by the way, in uh, enforcing the organization to close through pressure uh, through the Canadian Security Intelligence Service. You see, they went that far and they sent CSIS after me. And he was very clear at the time that no Jew in the diaspora should ever, ever protest against the state of Israel. And yet he was extremely quiet in the last couple of, in the last week or so when a full synagogue of Jews went to protest against the state of Israel. Now I know it's, it's years later and I know that, uh, that things change, but if you're so adamant about a concept of, of not protesting the state of Israel, that should never change. 
that should never be, there should never be a time where, where, where you're adamant and you said and you condemned me so publicly. And then you're quiet when other people are doing exactly the same thing. Now, I don't take anything personal, but that sure felt personal, if you know what I mean. I'm Howie Silberger. This is the Howie Silberger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could feel free to call in 1-877-669-1292. Still a few minutes left to the show. 1-877-669-1292 is the number to call. Feel free to join me in the conversation. Uh, a little later, around midnight, I will be back on with uh, Political Hitman on Israel News Talk Radio. And uh, that show is a lot of fun. So we'll be back in about, I'll be back around midnight with Political Hitman. Uh, now, now, many. I've gotten a couple of messages today asking me uh, if the show is going to be back on regularly, and uh, yes, yes, it will be. Um, I, I'm, I, I've decided that we're we're going to we're going to keep doing the show. We're going to keep coming on night after night uh, as much as we can, and we're going to keep talking to you. And uh, I want you to please tell your friends, tell your family, tell everybody you know that the Howie Silberger Show is back on on the True Talk Radio Network. We're broadcasting on about five or six different social media sites at the moment. Uh, we are actually uh, uh, we we are actually working on a project to 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 get more exposure and to to get bigger and better bigger and better sound and bigger and better uh, bigger and better broadcasting uh, areas. And we're working on it. I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in when we get there. But for now, we're here and uh, we will be here and we will continue to be here with you uh, uh, as much as we can. I can't say it's every night of the week, but we'll be here as much as we can. So until midnight, I want to bid you a, a good, good evening. I will see you again at midnight right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the show. I enjoyed bringing it to you, and uh, I'll see you again at midnight right here on the True Talk Radio Network. Feel free to download the True Talk Radio Network app from your favorite app store. We have a full range of shows that we air on True Talk Radio. And, of course, uh, you could always reach me, Howie, at truetalkradio.com. See you a little later.